0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit CAC.org. Hey,
1: everyone. Thank you for listening to this season of Everything Belongs. It's been such a treat for Mike and I and Corey to be in these conversations with Richard and also with our many incredible guests that we've been dialoguing with on Richard's book, Falling Upward. And there is a voice that we realize is missing is we really want to hear from you. What questions, what ruminations, what thoughts might you have after listening and engaging with Falling Upward and all these conversation partners? We would love to hear how it's hitting you and anything that might be arising in you that you think would be helpful to ask Richard.
2: So if you have a question or a comment or something you would like us to reflect on as we wrap up the season, you can email us at podcasts at cac.org. That's p-o-d-c-a-s-t-s at dot or send us a voicemail, cac.org forward slash voicemail. And that is also in the show notes. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, everybody.
1: It is always great fun for us to sit down with Richard and catch up on what life looks and feels like for him today. The thing about Richard, and I'm sure you've noticed this, is he doesn't like to talk about himself. He naturally steps away from talk that feels focused on him and leads into conversation on theology, spirituality, and issues of justice. Today, we are back in Richard's living room. Mike and I pick up where we left off, widening the conversation to Richard's transition from the teacher in the spotlight at the CAC to joining a circle of teachers and a staff being empowered to carry these teachings forward alongside all of you listening. We also talk about how the CAC's evolution as an organization with all of its gifts, foibles, and obvious growing edges, can serve the world in supporting transformation and inspiring loving action.
3: From the Center for Action and Contemplation, I'm Mike Petro. I'm Paul Swanson. And this is Everything Belongs.
1: Yeah, originally the, one of the themes we've been talking about that's come up in this conversation is the center and circumference and that You in particular are making a movement where you're going from the center of the CAC and the CAC's work to the communal circumference. How does that feel for you after 30-odd years of being at the center of things at the CAC?
4: Just tremendous relief that I've done what was mine to do at the center, uh, and now I don't need to keep doing it. It's, It's nothing but relief. I, I don't have. I think I'm being honest about myself. I don't have a lot of control needs. Uh, I got used to being in control, but I, and in that sense, I do. But otherwise, I don't. So to be freed of it, and just to give advice, if it's wanted or asked for, is so much freer. Michael will come by and ask my advice but he fully knows he doesn't need to follow it and doesn't always agree with it and he's usually right because he reads the contemporary world much better than I do I don't know how to read the world of organization and management today it's so sophisticated and I mean that as a compliment just the language of development of organizations and leadership people it's a, it's an art form
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah on campus there's a life-size cardboard cut out of you it just kind of moves around. You find it in different places. And I've bumped into it at least three times and it has scared me half to death. I've jumped at it. <laughs> I've to, oh, my God. Because it's perfectly life
4: size, And it when just, you see the silhouette, oh, my God, someone's in my office. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Richard's watching over our shoulder wherever you are.
4: Yeah. We, but <laughs> When I go, you can bury that with me. <laughs> oh, I'm
3: going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak it into people's showers just to scare them. But what's great is, i'm so impressed that it doesn't feel like you're looming over everyone's shoulder how how does that feel to be able to step back and really not feel like you need to keep an eye on everything
4: relief no other word comes to mind relief Uh, to the point as i said right at the beginning that i feel irresponsible I've so given up responsibility, I feel irresponsible. I still have my damn thoughts and opinions, but uh, I don't feel a need to communicate them
2: Mm.
4: or to have anybody agree with me. Mm. Michael's disagreed with me enough, and I've seen he's right,
3: Mm.
4: that I don't trust myself way I used to now I'm grateful that I did trust myself when I was younger yeah but I don't need that anymore
3: Mm. yeah
4: an excessive trust of Richard's thoughts
1: Mm. wow (laughs) what an expansion of trusting others gifts like that's part of what I hear in this is like your gifts were so central and so we're so grateful for them and how they've offered so much to us in the world and what I hear you saying now is just the deep acknowledging and respect of other gifts, and how that can actually no. weave together for more impact potentially in the yeah. world as we seek to yeah. to do our work.
4: There's just a lot people, a lot of people, mm. a lot smarter than I am. I was smart in one gifted area, mm. that was gift, but outside of that, I'm not and i'm just stupid if i don't recognize that you know mm. most practical things mechanical things scientific things i don't know beans you know mm.
3: yeah.
4: so i looked always cuz i was top of my field right i looked smarter than i was i think yeah <laughs>
1: Well, the rest of our conversation is focused on the people who are smarter than you. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> There's three of them here in this room. Just kidding. You <laughs> know I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Aren't they terrible? Aren't they? Ter- this is the way I've been treated for 35 <laughs> yeah. years. As, I think as you've got more playful, we've all gotten more playful around it's you. You have. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's true. How oh, wonderful! Gracious. But I do want to talk about somebody who is uh, a part of that communal circumference, as you know, Mike. Rado Brian. Yep. Uh, and his, oh, yeah. the role that he's playing, I would love to hear for your further thoughts on what you, what specific gifts you think Brian is going to bring as dean of the CAC faculty. You know, he's such a gentleman,
4: in every sense of that word. He treats the person in front of him like they matter. I think he's a better listener than I am. Uh, He's got a a brilliant teacher's mind. He could take complex ideas and develop them into a very convincing conclusion. Mm. Uh, He's a gift from God Mm. for the CAC. It's people like him and Mirabai and Dr. B coming on the scene. That really tell me the CAC and the living school is in the plan of God. It's not just our idea. Because mm-hmm. these gifted people like you three right here keep appearing. We've had a lot of people appear on the scene who are not called to build with us. Mm-hmm. And they recognized it. Thank God. Thank mm-hmm. God. Uh, but there were always enough like you guys and, and the new uh, faculty mm-hmm. that said, where did they come from? How did they get it so easily and so well? So it gives me sincere hope, sincere mm-hmm. hope, mm-hmm. that what we're doing approximate tru- approximates truth and might just be around for a while, Mm. for as long as God wants. And when it's time for us to go, it's time for us to go. Mm. I hope we never feel we have to make it last, you know. If we're speaking the truth with love, with love, then we deserve to last,
1: Mm. otherwise not. Did I answer your question? Into that, yeah, you you definitely spoke to the gifts of Brian and, and what he can do, and then O'Brien. Oh, yeah. I I think too, as we think about you know the other core faculty of you know Cynthia Brizot has now become emeritus faculty, and now uh, the core faculty that's that's helping build this future CAC of, with James Finley, Dr. Barbara Holmes, and Brian McLaren. They they bring these unique set of gifts within mm-hmm. engaged contemplation to help bring this mission into the context of today and it's yeah. uh, a gift to see how that is is coming together and I'm wondering how are you seeing students responding to their particular gifts and their particular voices within this these contemplative traditions you know those who do it which appears to be a good
4: percentage we don't see a lot of them because they're out doing it you understand mm-hmm. they're not trying to hang on to the CAC or even the living school. Uh, they've taken on projects and, and ministries and acts of service that fully occupy them. So I keep hearing about it, but they're not reporting in to us and they shouldn't need to report into us. You know, like they say about a good parent, a good parent makes themselves unnecessary. It breaks their heart when their kid just is all excited, whenever just can't wait to get to college and away from you, yeah. it's gonna break your heart. Right. Why do you wanna to go to college? <laughs> I'm your daddy. <laughs> but she will. Yeah. And she'll find her college friends much more fun than you.
1: <laughs> yes, I think she already does find her friends much more fun than me. But that's so true. That's where it is. <laughs> Yeah. Always trying to work ourselves out of jobs. Out of the whether job. You're a job as we'll a nurse, a teacher, or a parent. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. CAC
4: should work itself out of a need for an, an alumni association. Mm. You know, yeah. That's why we made our, even our diploma at graduation, somewhat fanciful and uh, facetious to know that. This isn't a graduation, it's just a continuation mm. of of life. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's why we call it the living school. Yeah. We wanna just help you live a more full life according to your gifts.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's great. It's more of a bookmark than a diploma. Yeah.
4: Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. Like See, this is why past. you guys can take over. Well, it's been. You're all coming up with good phrases. Yeah.
3: I will tell you what. We just we just finished the the syllabus for the the next phase, the one year program that's going to launch, and it's amazing. And what two of the things is I love it? about it? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. We'll sit and look at it. It's what a gift to work with the faculty. Um, and I love this idea. Two things we talk about that is this idea of recognizing the curriculum of your life right and recognizing that the living school is applied in your life with it is the curriculum and then now we're asking the question from your writing richard what is my lever and what is my place to stand yeah. what is my work to do in the world which is great it's great to get to ask students to think about that i that makes me very happy thank you yeah i have to say gosh Brian, amazing! And He's so good. Oh goodness yeah. gracious! What a communicator, what a thinker, what a leader, what a teacher, and and Jim Finley and Dr. Barbara Holmes. Wow, just what profound! I just
4: finished Jim's memoir. Yeah, and uh, I mean how he traversed through trauma. Mm. I don't have any big traumatic story to tell, and we need people. Because that's so much of the world. Jim has enough for both of you, I think. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) poor guy. And maybe a few less. But he's a happy guy.
3: Oh goodness, the healing and the integration and the love that's manifest in his teaching and his life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think too about like, you know, Doctor B's book, Crisis Contemplation. The Mm. way that there's that word. Yes, Mm. what it brings to the conversation of the now of what our, our, our current context is and the grounding of how contemplation can be such a necessity and arise in places of trauma, Mm. in communities, uh, on the margins, and just when life overwhelms in such a way that there is a contemplation that has to arrive for survival. Mm. For survival. And I think.
4: Then it's not playing church anymore.
1: Yes. You Mm. know,
4: yeah. I have to learn a different way of seeing to get through tomorrow.
0: Mm.
3: And it really, it it strikes me as, thinking about what we were talking about earlier with the path of the prophet, what I see in Dr. B's teaching, especially on crisis contemplation, is a communal holding of anger into sadness and sorrow Mm. and the importance of grief and lament. Wow. I
1: think so, yes. That pain and trauma has to go somewhere. And Mm. the way that she... So beautifully writes about the the flowering in life that can come from lament, mm-hmm. and it is into the unknown, mm-hmm. from the mystery into the unknown, but into embodied action, into mm-hmm. how uh, one can heal and be a part of a healing community. It yes. is wow. it is the best of yes Christian theology, I think.
3: Oh, we're so blessed. Yeah, that's so well said. Paul. I just
4: see so many young people, and I say they feel like as Jesus put a sheep without a shepherd. Who is going to teach these millions mm. of young kids that movement from anger to tears mm. tears and compassion are almost the same thing mm. I mean, Wow, how will they get there if they don't have good teachers Wow or guides it doesn't have to be teaching models mm.
1: good models yeah mm. you know, as we think about the way that the the CAC is uh, Use a mic phrase, moving and grooving in the world today. Hmm. Uh, There's a bunch of names and books and authors that are not only folks who are guests on our CSE podcasts or showing up online courses or the daily meditations, like these are folks who have been influenced by you over the years Mm. and are now taking your work and uh, contextualizing it, um, wrestling with it, nuancing it and their articulation of engaged contemplation in, in new ways. What is it like for you to look at, at the landscape mm, and cool. know that you played a role in that, but are now standing shoulder to shoulder with these teachers who are emerging as kind of the next who have generation? have gone
4: way beyond me. I thought of that with Greg Boyle a few months ago, who's doing such marvelous work with the street kids of L.A., and he came to speak here in Albuquerque. And I was in the front pew grinning up at him. And with the most soft voice, he said, and my spiritual teacher is here. And he looked at me. I just, come on. Mm. You're five times better than me. Why are <laughs> you saying that? Mm. I really was embarrassed by it. Mm. I never knew I had any influence on him. Uh, but if that's how god is able to use me to teach the teachers mm. uh, i'm most grateful mm.
3: it's wild when you think about the sort of conversational universe that we live in one of the things i appreciate is my friends who've grown up in other spiritual systems like they haven't deconstructed christianity they have nothing to do with it and i will hear them sometimes use your phrases mm and talk about their sort of construction and deconstruction of their particular spiritual path or their particular faith tradition or even you know they might quote you talking about the enneagram or something and you realize how far and wide your influence has gone into the perennial conversation and also how many really good teachers it's brought back to us yeah what a gift yeah the
4: The evangelical world because it gave you passion it gave you fervor Mm. is producing a lot of them Mm. i think because they keep the passion Mm. but they bring the mind to it now that's different (laughs) Mm. yeah and you're you're living all three of you are living examples of that
1: richard when we um when we look at the staff at the cac today now it's 40 odd folks uh, gathering around this mission and seeking to serve it in the world. And, you know, these is that are as varied as one can get, some are theological and spiritual, some are in uh, podcasts and broadcasts, some is in, in uh, engagement with our, our constituents, like it's the whole field. What, what do you think about when you see all these people coming together to serve this mission? for this next evolution of what the CAC is becoming, how does that stir your heart and mind for for what the CAC seems to be called to do in the this next evolution? Mm. Mostly I, this is gonna
4: sound terrible, mostly I don't think about it. Mm. I can't, it's mm. just, it's beyond me, it's bigger than me, it's, uh, I can't think about it. Because i don't know what to do with it if mm. i do think about it uh so i go over and i meet all the pleasant people and they are they're, you know pleasant to me pleasant to the world uh, and i take satisfaction in that present moment mm. but as to where this is heading or what this means in the grand scheme of things i don't i don't have a clue
3: richard who's your favorite person on staff i'm just <laughs> kidding <laughs> I'm totally just kidding oh my I'm there's this kidding. young guy from pennsylvania
4: no no no, no. <laughs> i i
3: i think about there's so many amazing people that work there i've never met a more intelligent group of people in my life if you had a blessing or a hope for everyone there what would it be
4: mm. that they wouldn't become cynical. Mm. Uh, Because that's the normal path of people who are passionate. Mm. They can't get other people to work with them or they Mm. can't achieve. What's the goal that you achieve? Mm. It's just like Jesus in the end. We're all limited good. Mm. So... uh, I can't think about it and I don't think about it mm. in any grand mm. direction. Mm. That is truly in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. And that includes closing down two years from now. You yeah. know? If that happens, I'm fine. Yeah. You
3: know. Yeah. It seems like a big stretch though for an Enneagram one to be able to let go of it that completely. Yeah. That's something. Well.
4: Does it, I guess. I guess it does. No, I don't do that anymore.
3: Mm.
4: Try to hold it together. Mm. Even in my mind, what it's supposed to be. Mm. I hope I've offered enough tools. Many of them from other people, by the way. Mm -hmm. Things like Ken Wilber and Renee Girard. You know, they aren't all my ideas. The only thing that gave me the conviction to mm-hmm. believe them as if they were my ideas, mm-hmm. and this is going to surprise you, good Protestant boys, was the Bible that mm-hmm. I that I found. What I was trying to say was biblically biblically warranted mm-hmm. and validated. Now most people don't see that, but my first great love, like my first cassettes, were Scripture. Yeah, yeah, right, and. Uh, I sincerely believe that what we're teaching is scriptural. Yeah. (laughs) And so that allows me to let go of it because then I know it's going to happen on its own uh, time schedule and its own terms.
3: Yeah.
4: And not by me pushing it. Yeah. Or putting my name to the bottom
1: of it. Mm. There's... A name that's come up a couple of times in our conversation, the other Michael, Michael Poffenberger, our mm-hmm. executive director, and you've been talking about how you no longer feel like you have to hold it together. I don't. And I think of Michael and his position being that one who's holding it together organizationally. That is part of where his gifts reside. And you know, seeing the two of you, and you have a very close relationship, and you tease each other, you sharpen each other, you dream together, and you love, obviously love one another. Do you know what it was about Michael First that first allowed you to wholeheartedly trust him in this season of transition at the CAC?
4: Well, first I have to admit that I was impressed by his clearly good mind. Mm. That he would, just his little ticking mind, would take a new idea and search for objectivity This is not just a sentiment Mm. or not just a feeling. And I think he got that from his good education at Notre Dame. He got the best of Catholic social teaching. So I knew we were on the same wavelength. But he got it from another source other than me. Mm. And all I was doing was validating it. Uh, Then, you know, as a one... The people I'm drawn to are sevens mm. because they're what I'm not. I don't know how to be happy-go-lucky until the last couple years. years. Mm. Uh, maybe some of that's rubbed off from him. I don't know. Uh, but it was his mind is somewhat hidden spirituality. Mm. Most people, when you first see him, wouldn't think that he's that spiritual a person because he makes light of so much. But taking long car trips with him and in-depth conversations, I really know he is. Mm. In fact, he, he showed me a picture that was online yesterday of his confirmation picture. He's this fat little boy. <laughs> and he's got, he's got a bishop putting his hand on his head and that he would even keep that mm. the moment he was confirmed. It still is meaningful to him. Oh. Uh, the Catholic skeleton holds him even though he doesn't care much about most most of the specifics that most catholics are concerned about mm. and i see myself in him i'm the same way i'm i'm not catholic at all mm. and yet i'm overwhelmingly catholic and yeah. you know that yeah. yep. it probably gets to be too much <laughs> I, I can't think except inside of that big fleshy skeleton that was given to us Mm -hmm. Uh, and of course you know the reason i'm catholic is precisely because it is very often catholic universal
3: yeah
4: and my life has been a search for universal truth truth that applies everywhere Mm -hmm. not just to white people or gay people or straight people or black people or any specific group. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think it was his mind. But his ability to let me challenge and correct him, if I did, Mm. showed me his humility. And when you see a very smart person who's also humble, Mm. that sold me. Mm. He's the kind of leader we want Mm. because he's not going to get stuck on himself. Mm. Uh, I've seen too much pride in the clergy of all Mm. denominations. Mm. And so this ability to be lighthearted, allow correction. Very early on, he told me, you know, what is it you want the CAC to be? I've come here to serve that. So he had the humility to honor my gift and to trust his own Mm. at the same time. Honor mine, trust his own. And ask questions like, Richard, were you ever, do you take any responsibility for the fact that some previous directors left angry? Mm. And I'd have to say, yes, I do, you know? I'd have to face my own faults. Mm -hmm. But that ability to receive correction, not just from me, but from the tradition, Mm -hmm. and for him to see that his millennial American bias was a great big bias, too, Mm -hmm. that had to be overcome. Mm he, he makes fun of millennials around me more than I do. <laughs> he, he says, if it isn't about us, we're not interest, interested in it. I <laughs> did, uh, true. But. Am I answering your question? You are.
1: I think you're offering uh, a great snapshot uh, uh, of uh, of Michael's leadership and, and yeah. the gifts you see in it and just the, the humanity you see in it. for Yeah. And I think that's part of I'm wondering as we even expand out beyond Michael too of um, staff and those listening to this right now and your friends near and far. And this is a phrase that Mike has come up with, which we really is at the centerpiece of this podcast of how do you think that all these folks, staff, listeners, friends can live your teachings forward as you move to the circumference and more folks start to take on this work How can we live your teachings All right, the
4: phrase that just came into my mind, I don't know if it's the best or right, stay close to the bottom. Now understand bottom on about Mm -hmm. 10 levels there. The earth, the poor, Mm -hmm. your own shadow self, stay close to the bottom. Don't get pulled into flights of anything, flights Mm -hmm. of anything, Icarus. Mm. flying too close to the sun. And I think I especially, you know, so much of my work for years was men's work. I especially want to say that to young men because what I've seen again and again is men are by nature ambitious. They're career-oriented. They want to be make a flash you know Mm -hmm. I probably did too my way was to be a priest you know Mm -hmm. Uh. (laughs) so if you could stay close to the bottom your shadow self Mm -hmm. look keep looking at the dirty earth beneath your feet remember human and humble come from the same root as humus Those will be people who will sustain whatever it is I tried to teach. Not just people who quote the Anagram or Spiral Dynamics or, or Ken Wilber. Oh. And the primacy of love. Hmm. If our justice work is not loving, it isn't justice. <laughs> yeah. That's the way God justifies us is by loving us mm. at ever deeper levels. So that's why we got to love the world and bring justice to the world. Not by anger, but mm. by love. But anger that, I mean, love that might have been first elicited mm. by anger. At the mistreatment of black people or mm. you know or the humiliation of gaze, or whatever it might be. You start with that anger, and you let it be softened, let it be balanced, and you get to the the love. Mm. Then you're a prophet.
3: Mm. Love that, Richard. I think about our whole conversation, and what you just said there, and the connection of human, and humus, and humor. Yeah. right and all of that from that word humus which means does it mean ground earth earth yeah humus is like yeah yeah Smell. and the earthiness of that and the groundedness of that and and telling it's us to, hard stay, to be, grounded. Yeah, you stay, grounded. stay grounded yeah can't go wrong stay grounded. now
4: here it's the very earth on which we stay uh. that our future is depending on yeah uh.
3: and the uh. encouragement to stay grounded in love and and i, I appreciate the buoyancy of the humor that's come out in the in the in the gravitas of this conversation these guys
4: bring it out of me
3: everything belongs will continue in a moment
0: Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. Explore art as a spiritual practice in the next issue of Wanting, the biannual journal from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Oneing, Art and Spirituality, features images and reflections from leading actors and musicians, including Scott Avett, Josh Radner, Lourdes Bernard, and more. Get your copy today at cac.org slash art. That's cac.org slash O-N-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. Have you taken an online course with the Center for Action and Contemplation? Explore the intersection of ancient wisdom and Jesus' teachings in the Divine Exchange, an online course featuring Cynthia Bourgeau. Fully embrace divine interaction each day, starting June 16th. Register today at cac.org online-ed. That's cac.org online-ed.
1: Two months have passed since our conversation in Richard's living room. At this point, we thought we'd bring you into our conversation with the CAC Executive Director, Michael Poffenberger, which was recorded in the staff break room at the 2023 Living School Symposium. Here, Michael joins us to expound on the imagination of what is institutionally possible with the direction we are headed while seeking to stay grounded in humility, wisdom, and joy.
3: So, Michael, who or what was your introduction to Richard, first of all, and then eventually the Center for Action and Contemplation?
5: Yeah, so I was in my 20s working in a field of human rights, doing policy work essentially focused on trying to prevent different forms of mass violence against communities uh, in East and Central Africa. And I grew up Catholic, had studied some of the mystics and been part of the Catholic worker when I was in college. So I was, I was formed by the <clears throat> contemplative and social justice traditions of the church. But to be totally honest, when I left college, I think you know I was left with all these different questions about what kind of spiritual path I wanted to follow and really made my work my path. And to me, what was most real in the world was encountering this form of suffering and believing that, you know, it's inherently a meaningful act to try to move in the world in ways that that heal suffering. And, and I thought, at least, I thought it was that simple. But, you know, we talk about these different stories that bring people to CAC, and mine is, uh, you know, there's many different versions of it, but essentially it was, it was what Father Richard in his men's work talks about sometimes as this crisis of limitation. And coming face to face with Learning that I could help and do things that positively contributed, but also at the end of the day, these realities were not things that I could stop myself. And that seems really obvious, but for me, coming from my background in my 20s, working in D.C., it was this real, I don't know how to grapple with that because this is my identity, this is my purpose. And it was a moment of a, a real kind of crisis about that because I could feel just how attached I was to this idea that I had to try to solve this, that a mentor, a real trusted mentor, a guy named Bob Sabbath, encouraged me to attend the Rites of Passage, this wilderness retreat that, that Richard helped design for men. And it was there that I, that I realized that in some ways, my work had become a defense against the reality that I'm, I don't have control over so many of these things, that there's aspects of, of life and what Richard calls initiation into the reality of our own powerlessness that's part of our path of growth and transformation. And it was so fresh and so different from anything I had ever experienced before. And I look back and I don't, I don't think I really knew it at the time, but that was one of those before and after moments in my life where I had come into contact with a form of wisdom that drew on a tradition that I thought I was familiar with, but in fact was very different from anything I had ever experienced. And that just drew me right in. So I hadn't yet met Richard in person, but started organizing with a group of other guys in the DC region, these wilderness retreats for other men and leading other men on these uh, experiences of initiation. Started a small group, a Centering Prayer group in DC with some other activists um, who remain close friends and kind of allies in this work to this day. And through that, got to learn about the CAC and and eventually, a few years later, got to meet Richard in person. Hmm. That's so fun to hear that background and
1: all that groundwork that was laid before you came to the CAC and joined the staff, which, uh, correct if I'm wrong, is it 10 years ago now that you became executive director? Yeah, tw- well, nine years, yeah. Nine years, almost. nine years going on 10. Can you recount what you were thinking and feeling about Richard and his work when you first stepped into that role at the CAC?
5: Yeah, as I'm sure many people in our community can relate, there's just this electric feeling when you meet something that is so real that it kind of reveals the disillusionment that you didn't even recognize was there in relationship to what you knew in the, in the past. And that was my experience of meeting Father Richard, becoming part of the CAC. I was on the board as a volunteer. You know, I remember sitting in those first board meetings and you just have this sense of like, I don't know what this is or how to describe the gift of what this person is trying to bring forward in the world, but it's real. And it touches the ground in a way that I, I, didn't, I didn't know how deeply I needed. And so getting to be part of the organization in the early days was just this constant experience of that like overwhelm in a sense of, you know, uh, I remember the first symposium I was at in the living school and seeing Father Richard and our two other faculty members teach and and being around people who are asking these big questions about what's working and not working and and how we can be agents of love and how, you know, we can practice this path of surrender in the world. And it was just it was just electric, and it felt like such a privilege. Um, that's all that's all I remember. It was very humbling to be in that room. That's uh, so fun to hear.
1: And ten years of almost ten years have passed. How do you feel about that now? Uh, <laughs> how do I feel about which part of that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess all of. I mean, the work and 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 Richard's continued impact on the world. How has that shifted for you in these ten years that you've been? such an insider into the work that Richard has brought to the world.
5: I have had the chance to build an actual, you know, what I consider, I don't know if Richard would say the same, but <laughs> meaningful uh, of uh, relationship. Of course, a <laughs> <laughs> Meaningful friendship with, with Father Richard and to accompany him through a period of both of our lives that has been significant. And, yeah, you know, I, I think... There, there was a period where that, that kind of, it's like that initial, it's almost like a romantic relationship, you know, like you, you fall in love with something and there's an infatuation phase where it's just like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I think that was the first probably two years of my time at CAC. One of the great gifts of this place, it just gathers really exceptional people. So there's always just this energy of people who are coming, who want to be part of this, who always bring something interesting to the table. And it's such a joy. It's, I think, the best part of, of the work. And then, you know, there were years of really having to ask these deeper questions about what is this project? How do we really understand what, what Richard was trying to do when he founded the CAC? How do we mold this organization, this community of people in such a way to keep serving that vision and mission with integrity as we move forward? And that, that's that been tough. Um, the, his, the, the man's legacy and his teachings, he doesn't like that word, the L word, legacy, but the, the breadth and depth of the teachings are so wide and so deep that learning to discern what is in this for the organization, how do we, how do we keep moving this forward? It's so hard when the person is, is larger than life in the way that Father Richard's larger than life. So there were, there were years, I think, of really trying to sort through that and trying to construct the conditions for a shared conversation within the organization. And um, I'm really grateful We had that experience it wasn't always easy um it hasn't always been easy there's still days of course when it's not easy but to be here now where um i think we have answered some of the foundational questions and i think we've answered them in ways that will continue to set this mission up for the future is really an exciting moment to be in and of course to do that with father richard here i mean when when we were first embarking on that work asking these bigger picture questions about the future of cac Richard was going through these multiple rounds of health crises where, you know, we thought we were only going to have him for a couple of years, and so the gift of being where we're at now and moving this work forward, and that we still have the 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 joy of our founder walking alongside us in that, and getting to go on occasional road trips with them, where we get to hash this kind of stuff out, it's like the best case scenario. Um, so. Uh, you know, we've moved through the infatuation to the the reality check of like, you know, organizations are organizations, and there's a lot of work there that we've got to do to figure this stuff out. To now, what I think is a really um, pregnant moment for for all of us um, as we look to the future. So I'm just grateful for that, and of course, so grateful that um, that Richard is still with us here to to be along for the ride.
3: So Richard, uh, hearing Michael talk about this, I would love to to pose the question for you. So 10 years, so much has changed at CAC, so much has changed in the world, so much has changed in our audience, so so much has changed in the lives of our audience. Yeah, Yeah, it's been highs and lows, rises and falls, blessings, I'm sure some things that have felt like backbreaking transitions, (laughs) wounds and wisdom, all of this. Um, What's your experience been of all of that and how would you describe the direction that, that Michael's leading the CAC through all of this and into the future? the big question
4: you know it, it has been an overwhelming period in human history and uh, just the the politics of the United States being so infantile <laughs> the uh, the planet seemingly I mean now all the corals are bleaching in all of southern Florida just a symbol of my God Um. And then uh, accompanying Michael, I hope accompanying him, as he'd go through different trials. And and I'm an inside-outside person, even before I retired. I'm here, but I'm not here. So I hope it gave me some bit of objectivity, but I say that because what I, among the, many things I admire about Michael. One is his ability to be objective in situations where I'm caught up in feeling, resentment, judgment, and he'll bring me back to a a sort of calm. I mean, he's a thinker on the anagram. I'm a gut person, so he has to put up with my gut, and I'm calmed by his thinking. So I very much appreciate his good mind. Uh, But he never plays the good mind card. He just has it and he offers it. So uh, I feel he came to us, was given to us at the right time when the center itself was going through a major, what are we gonna do after Richard? The culture was collapsing in so many ways, and the church is collapsing in so many ways.
3: It's interesting. Um, throw, throw the both of you a wild card for a second. The way you describe that and you showing up 10 years ago, I also can't help but notice that about 10 years ago you published the book Falling Upward. And it, the way you talk about the center Asking a lot of these hard questions as the moment in the culture has become increasingly more dire, and we know we're always trying to go back to the original intent of the center, go back to the cont- contemplative Christian tradition in its roots, and look forward to the future in the Christian contemplative movement. Does it feel like Michael has come along in sort of the falling upward moment of the Center for Action and Contemplation as it moves into that second? You know, half of I think. Life?
4: I haven't applied it that much to him, but I think what you say is true. I mean, there were times when I'm sure you must have felt like quitting, or am I up to this? I don't know how you felt it, but there were some difficult decisions, and you do feel stronger on the other side of
3: those now. Uh, It's a... a it's a very interesting moment to be alive in this culture. There is a lot at stake. And how do you feel about the direction that Michael and the team are taking the CAC into the future in this moment?
4: I trust it, I do trust it. I, I, as a one, I have my moments of doubt, like are we active enough, are we engaged enough? Are we integrated? Is the and doing its work between action and contemplation? But uh, I find when I can back off of my judgments and trust that Michael is setting in motion, along with all of you, some processes, uh, and I I think that's how he. Attains a lot of his objectivity. He holds to the process of how we decided, who decides, and I think rightly reminding me, I am not the decider anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I can do that, it's the result has been good.
1: Uh, Michael, I was going to ask you, you know, talking about this direction the CAC is going. Do you have a, you know, a two-minute elevator? How do you share it in a short amount of time the direction that we're going as an organization to those who don't, don't know?
5: Well, let me, let me start by saying um, the animating question for us at every step has been, as Jim Finley, one of our core faculty, he gave us this quote in the way that only Jim Finley can, For many years, CAC has been about Father Richard, but Father Richard's not about Father Richard. So how can the CAC be about what Father Richard is about? And the change processes that you're hearing us talk about are really the the growing pains of an organization moving from a founder era to a real mission and and what we call movement-driven organizational strategy and, and culture. And so the process that we went through and that we've been continuing to work through, I think, Um, really started, though, back to that founding vision, right? It's the reanimation of the the fire that that was present at the the beginning of the CAC, you know, when Father Richard loaded up his truck, moves to New Mexico, and he had this vision of a school for prophets. How do we give people the spiritual resources from which to engage in loving action, loving right action in the world in ways that provide healing and positive transformation? Um, And so to go back to that and then to trace forward you know, 37 years now of how has that actually had impact? What are the ways we've been um, useful? How do we relate to other kinds of efforts in the broader landscape? And so it really, it really was, that's how do we be about what Richard's about from beginning to end? And where that has landed us is this idea, our, our mission is to introduce Christian contemplative wisdom and practices that uh, support transformation and inspire loving action. And we do that in service to people working together for a more just and loving world, just and connected world. That's our vision statement. So this idea of there is this renewal of the contemplative dimensions of our tradition that's under, underway now, where the, the shift is from Christianity of conformity to beliefs to Christianity that frees people from the depths of their own inner resources to show up in the world as, as, as folks of courageous and free, loving action. Um, So how do we be a part of this renewal that's happening and then see ourselves as a place of formation, a place of education? So Richard called it a school for profits. Um, We're an education institution. We're equipping people with these tools and practices that many of them have not had access to before. They can have a very impactful presence in people's lives and communities, but is also just one piece of the puzzle. So we think of ourselves as this entry point into this broader contemplative renewal, contemplative movement that we see is underway around us shifting from these kind of pioneer founding figures of, of uh, the contemplative Christian recovery, you know, Tom, the Thomas Mertens and the Richards and the Thomas Keatings and others who are really putting these pieces together for us. Now, how do we piece together the broader movement that forms around those teachings, captures what's the best from our, from our spiritual tradition in service to what the world needs today? So that's really, I mean, you think about that in terms of we do daily meditations and we do online courses and we do the living school and we have these podcasts and we do these events. And we partner with groups to help move our people out into action in the world. Um, but all of it is part of this broader project that, that we see ourselves as being having this incredible opportunity to be serving in this moment in history.
1: Dang. Uh, that's very inspiring. And I, I feel like that's so much of the culmination of this podcast, too, is how do we live these teachings forward? And how do we showcase those who are doing it in different avenues that are alongside the CAC or the CACs alongside them, that it is a multitude that's working on this, not just one single organization, but we have our piece to do. Uh, so thank you for articulating that so well. Richard, when, you, when folks listen to that, what, what do you hope they're feeling or uh, responding to in, in, in that direction that we're headed as an organization?
4: Well, I hope they hear the fervor and the uh, intelligent commitment in Michael's words. Uh, because it is going to be important when I'm gone, that that you know there's some something to trust, and it doesn't have to be re-quoting me all the time. But there's something that Michael symbolizes that I can bless, and um, you know you can't have more than one center point. Let me explain. That's what monotheism did for. Western civilization. To have several center points is a contradiction in terms. If it's a center point, it's got to be what? Or, Or it's not the center. And that's the only advantage to having a founder still alive. That you don't have to say, okay, should we follow Meister Eckhart? Should we follow Dorothy Day? Should we follow whoever? Jesus. Well, I hope I said we're following Jesus. And, yeah, I gave it my unique interpretation. But that gives you a center point that keeps you together. Instead of people two years after I'm in the grave saying, well, Richard was weak on this, which he was. Richard was faulty on that, which he probably was. But you're you're sort of stuck with your founder. It's the same way we are with Francis. Francis. We now realize Francis was neurotic about poverty, just neurotic. But he was still Francis. And uh, you already know my neur- neuroses. Don't mention them all in one <laughs> phrase. But uh, one center point gives a group a way to hold together.
1: Yeah. And we can bring that quote out of you, the Richard quote of don't quote me don't always don't just go back to my Richard quotes.
4: Richard says, "Don't quote."
3: <laughs> <laughs> Richard's most famous quote is "Don't don't just go back <laughs> yeah. to my quotes." Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. <laughs> it's interesting hearing all of that. I I can't help but wonder what does then success look like 5 years from now, 20 years from now with or without Richard Richard here physically or in spirit? What does it look like if CAC Actually, successfully moves into what it plans to do?
5: Yeah. I'd love to hear Richard's answer on this one, too. We always come at these questions from such different angles. Um, you know, one thing I want to say we were talking about that whole idea of the institutional falling upward moment in the midst of what's happening in our, on our planet. And I do think that's true. The, the, the inklings that we had 10 years ago now, you know, in terms of what the need was going to be for this work have only grown. And you see that, you know, in our living school, people come to us hungry for more. And sometimes they come to us because they want us to meet this set of needs. But but the, it's become more and more acute, the sense of decline of traditional institutions, the, the recognition that the ways that we have functioned to date are, are no longer working. And you can apply that in so many different contexts in politics and economics and the way that we really you know, ecologically, and especially, you know, for us in our religious institutions. So we're in the midst of this collective falling upward moment, and and then institutionally CAC working through some of this. And I would say for me, there's a personal piece of this too, of, of, you know, I was driven for so many years by how do we find the right answer to what the identity should be for CAC, and how do we clarify that? And I think that energy helped in some ways, because we needed to figure out that, that path for CAC moving forward. But, but also, um, th- there's a personal piece for, here, for me in this of recognizing that we want to set goals, we need parameters, we need a vision that's animating us, and then we also need to make room for the spirit, uh, to, to use maybe an overused term. And uh, to be attuned to our environment, to each other, to allow room for the communal discernment to help shape how we, how we co-create this with each other and with our broader landscape and environment as we move forward. And that's been a huge learning curve for me to, to balance out that drive for clarity um, that sometimes tilts over into, I think, a need for control with the, the, the surrender and the recognition that everything is always a work in progress. There is no completion here. There is no success here, you know. So I'll just say that's something I'm working on as a leader and that I think is going to be an integral piece for us as an organization. And, and, and we have some concrete goals and things that, that we really want to get after because we think we have something meaningful to offer. I think we have a lot meaningful to offer. But just on, on a few practical things. So one, I, I, we talk about ourselves sometimes as a front door. We're really good at, at introducing people at scale you know, through these teachings that, that have such an impact in people's lives. So, you know, five, ten years from now, how do we think about contemplative Christianity not as a niche thing that people discover after they've connected you know ten other dots, but actually as um, an established and accessible pathway of spiritual growth and transformation in our broader landscape that's recognizable uh, that people can actually access and participate in in meaningful ways? Our top line goal for the next five years is is to kind of reach a tipping point in how many American and Western Christians uh, um, are participating in a contemplative path? You know, there's social science research that talks about 3.5% is this tipping point of popular participation before you have these seismic shifts in attitudes and awareness towards any number of different topics throughout history. So, how can we help foment the conditions for this catalytic uh, growth of a contemplative Christian path uh, in our broader landscape? To do that, I'll just say there's two things that I'm, I'm really focused on. I think our, our, our team is building out some amazing, amazing programs that I'm just super excited about. How do we offer this wisdom in ways that are helpful, relevant to people's lived experiences, greater diversity of lived experiences, you know, break out the box, so to speak, of, of where we've been as an organization. But two things that I want to name in particular that I think are key to that. So one is continuing to build on the partnerships with our faculty. Father Richard has handed off the baton formally now. He's no longer the dean of our core faculty. Um, We're we're starting to establish a broader faculty that is more engaged in the day-to-day life of the organization who are all firmly grounded in Father Richard's vision and teachings, but also bringing their own gifts to the party. Um, And I think continuing to grow and diversify that faculty is going to be just integral for where we want to go in the next few years. Wisdom is arising in so many different contexts. This isn't about... You know the Catholic wisdom and the Baptist wisdom. It's about people drawing, you know, in that in that idea that the mystics speak the same, you know, have more in common with each other than they do with many folks in their own uh, in their own individual tradition. So you'll see just a great amount of diversity um, uh, in the teaching and, and lived praxis of our faculty. I think that's key. And then secondly, as we continue to deepen and broaden into our own programming. How do we build relationships that help people who are moving through our programs and want to engage in different ways with other partners out in the broader landscape? Um, You know, when we talk about our contemplative movement, um, it's still in early stages. It's still in that, you know, Richard has this five M's framework from, you know, forgiving the gender specific language, man to movement. You know, we're in that trying to build out this ecosystem so that folks can have a local community of practice, can take engaged social action can be part of communities that are really working to apply this wisdom out in the world. So those are two things that I think are gonna be critical for really seeing the full impact of the programs and core mission that we have as an organization take root and flourish out in the broader world. Dang, that's awesome. You said
1: you, you to. you're curious to hear Richard's yeah. take on that as what, Richard, well.
5: Yeah, Richard, would, how would you define, what does success look mm-hmm. like for you five or 10 years after from now?
4: You know, it has much more to do with the energy and the attitude. Uh, I'm writing this book, as you know, on the prophets. And it's probably going to be interesting. That's my last book. Of course, I said that before. didn't I? <laughs> But this one is. Uh, it struck me that you can't be angry and happy at the same time. And even the prophets had to learn that. What enchanted all of Europe with the Franciscans in the first 10 years, I mean, we were in all European countries, was they were called the joyful beggars, that they maintained joy. And that is not a quality you find in most progressive liberal people. Most progressive people are cynical and distrustful for a hundred good reasons. So if, however many years from now, whatever our shape is, whatever our numbers are, doesn't matter as much as that we haven't lost our joy, our joyfulness um, in God, first of all, and in nature, which is God's creation. And human beings, which are God's leaders of creation—at least we were supposed to be. So, uh, if 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 whatever you do after I'm gone keeps you still happy, and your anger at injustice, because that isn't going to go away, doesn't override the happiness. <clears throat> And I I do mean happiness about spiritual things, not just, oh, CAC can throw a good party. I don't mean that. (laughs) But we can But we can't. (laughs) can't (laughs) You know what I mean, yeah. Um, To maintain spiritual joy is different than just normally what we call happiness.
5: Um, Richard I've, I've, oh go ahead Well, that's all that's coming to mind R- Richard I've heard you talk before about one part of that which is how, how we learn to relate to our own failures or learning experiences and, uh, and can we even as an organization in a sense laugh at ourselves um, or with ourselves along the way I've seen that in you and especially as you've gotten older just gotten more neurotic <laughs> <laughs> just the absurd the tragic absurdity of things is yeah, at some point so true at some point you've got to find it funny
4: that's sincere in me the absurdity of it all doesn't anger me it just makes me want to laugh at it
5: yeah you said that at, i don't remember you probably don't remember but you said that it conspired it that- what did I say? That you hope that we can um, laugh at our own oh, mistakes and shadow. Yeah. yeah.
1: So interesting to hear you two talk. Like and you'd already named this of Mike, Michael's bringing his like intelligence to this, his mind, and you're talking about instinctively talking about the energy from the gut. Mm. And I just think that it's such a compliment oh, the way that you yeah. two riff off one another. Good. I think there's already so much heart in the room that gets brought into it. So it's fun to watch Good. these angles. Yeah, exactly. Uh, these angles come together. And one might call it the body of Christ, even the way in which the, the diversity
3: of the body can come
1: together.
4: The eye cannot say to the hand. Yeah. <laughs>
5: yeah.
3: Well, and I appreciate one of the things we talked about in a previous episode, uh, Michael and Richard, is, is the idea of thinking of CAC and the teachers that we work with as sort of this contemplative laboratory where we're trying to find things that work, that we can pass on to people. How do you take contemplation that's an ancient practice that's existed in monasteries and give it to people who are trying to be still in a chaotic world, right? And so I love the permission, in, in any good laboratory, you need to be allowed to try things that aren't gonna work. Yeah. They're gonna blow up in your face, and, and the permission to be able to not take ourselves too seriously and laugh at that and own that mm. we will try some things that don't work and that'll put us closer to things that do work.
5: That's good.
3: And hopefully have Thank something you. to pass on.
5: I think that's part of what's difficult about working in, um, Father Richard, you're, you're awake sometimes because over a lifetime of practice, you know, to, to put it bluntly, you are really good at what you do. <laughs> and so I think there's a, te- there's a temptation towards a perfectionism within the organization. For, for us to, to have the space to learn and grow and to make sure that's part of the, of the picture, even while we want to continue to hold just the standard of excellence, you know, because you role model that. You have this total integrity to your vocation in the world. I mean, it is profound. You know, I see it in everything about the way that you live your life. So how do we hold that in relationship to, um, you know, uh, <laughs> We will never live up to that. Maybe I could say it that bluntly. We can never live up to that.
4: And if we think we can or we have to, that's what makes you cynical and unjoyful. Cynicism is so devious, how it gets in, especially for smart people. They're the most subject, and you're all very smart. Oh, yeah.
1: Gosh, thank you both for sharing the story of, you know, this professional evolution We're in the midst of the way that you both are showing up personally and professionally to dig in deep and support one another and the, the vision that's been cast. And how do we step and live these teachings forward and what is ours
3: to do as a part of this contemplative movement? So
1: thank you so much. Yeah, thank and, and thanks
3: for the, the clear trust that exists between the two of you yeah. and the way that you complement each other's gifts and insights is palpable watching the two of you interact. So thanks for sharing that with Paul and I and with the listeners. Mm-hmm.
5: Thank you.
1: Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed catching up with Richard, how he is doing and what is enthralling him these days, and an insight into the CAC's direction under Michael. One major step of that direction is this, how we at the CAC are introducing Christian contemplative wisdom and practices that support transformation and inspire loving action through the expansion of our core faculty. In our next episode, we'll be joined by Richard and introduce you to our new dean of CAC faculty, Brian McLaren, where we talk about our faculty and the unique role spiritual teachers play
2: for those who call themselves students on this path. Thanks for listening to this podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation, an educational nonprofit that introduces seekers to the contemplative Christian path of transformation. To learn more about our work, visit us at CAC.org. Everything Belongs is made possible thanks to the generosity of our supporters and the shared work of Mike Petro, Paul Swanson,
0: Talitha Baker, Mikkel Chevrier, Izzy Spitz, Megan Hare, Sarah Palmer. Barb Lopez
3: Brandon Strange
2: And me, Corey Wayne The music you hear is composed and provided by our friends, Hammock And we'd also like to thank Sound On Studios for all of their work in post-production From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good